Hi, I'm Randy. And I'm Claire. And you're listening to Killer Vibes, a true crime podcast. Tell so, us about some child torture. I will. I'm, I'm ready <laughs> to tell you about that, actually. Okay, so we're talking about the Dozer School for Boys, which is located in northwestern Florida. And it's been open for quite a long time. It closed just recently in 2011. And there's some epic torture that has taken place on this 1,400-acre farm place. It's not really a farm. It's really like, it's just an area. 1400 acre area. I don't know why. I always say like 1400 acre farm. It's just like a direct. It's like, it comes out of your mouth. Yeah. I I have so many family members who are farmers, and that's immediately what I think about. So, but let's talk about the Dozier School for Boys a little bit more. Okay. So, we talked a little bit about how an investigation opened in 1903, which is just three years after it opens, and the investigation will continue until 1913. So, we have, like, 10 years of a whole bunch of, like, inspections, making sure everything is going okay, sort of, like, re-administering where all of the different leaders of the school are, re, um, reassigning a new superintendent. There's a lot of different things that happen. Um, but in addition to that, the center was also heavily segregated. So a lot of abuses were carried out on um, the black kids and many of the deaths on campus, as I had mentioned before, were noted as unknown or an accident. And a lot of the names that have that, you know, uh, reason of death, no, not reason of death, sorry. Lack of reason. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) No reason to their death. Um, Underneath their cause of death, it would say unknown or accident. And a lot of those kids were the black kids. In 1966, though, the segregated campus became fully integrated and all of the kids were belonged to one campus. Um, so it wasn't separated out after that. The school became the largest juvenile reform school in the nation and had to even open a second campus. Well, of course, um, if you end up there by... Yeah, by cussing yeah. at someone or just like skipping school or it's gonna whatever. It's going to be a busy business. Mm-hmm. So, like I said before, um, after the investigation that started in 1903, there were several changes in the administration and leadership. There were a whole bunch of promises that the state made saying that the condition would improve over the coming years. Um, But all of the allegations of torture and abuse that came from the school have existed until its end in 2011. So, clearly none of those policies were actually implemented and all of those promises were broken which is just super great and awesome to hear about in our modern-day juvenile court system. I'm so happy you told me about that. Yes, so happy. It just seems fair and just. It feels like justice was really served here anyway. Precisely. Yes. But the real gravity of the abuse at the school was unearthed in 2009 by the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. They discovered not only were students being beaten half to death, many were being raped and physically abused by staff members. And some students speculated to have been some students were speculated to have been murdered while at school. No one was formally punished for these abuse scandals and the school carried on for over 100 years in this way. The Mariana campus was an open campus, so there wasn't any fencing around the perimeter, which I believe, Randy, you kind of talked about that with juvenile court systems, or maybe we've talked about that before. The juvenile reform schools are not like prison. They have a prison-y vibe. Yeah, so reform programs in general can kind of vary based on severity. So 
obviously when you're like sentenced to one of these programs, you're only ending up in one of these more relaxed places if the judge thinks that you would succeed there. Mm -hmm. But I've seen places that are not, there's zero parameters. You can literally walk up and leave if you want to, but then you don't finish the program, obviously. So then you'd have to like start over or do something different. But they're not usually like... (laughs) Very confined. Mm-mm. I would assume this one would be a little bit more because it's a juvenile one, but... You would assume that, wouldn't you? <laughs> you would. You would. One would assume. Hmm, that's interesting. We'll get to that in a minute. So there wasn't any fencing around the perimeter, so boys would often try and flee the campus because of all of the terrible things that were happening. And according to the New York Times article that I read about the 27 bodies that were recently found... A few of the students that were caught fleeing would be shot and killed after they had been caught. You're not allowed to shoot someone when they're running away from you. That's a recent policy in law enforcement. Mm -hmm. This would happen before all of the new policies were implemented. So this was a common practice in the 40s and 30s. Oh, we're still in the 40s and 30s. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, because... In regards to, like, police pursuits, I was just learning in my law enforcement class about how they have recently outlawed continuing to shoot at a a subject as they're running away from you. You're not allowed to, like, shoot at them anymore, although people get shot at for just standing there and doing nothing. Right. So, I mean, I don't know who's following this policy, but it is one. Exactly. Well, yeah. So basically, that's kind of what would happen. Like these kids would be fleeing and nothing would be going on except they would try to be run away from a terrible institution that they were held prisoner at. And then they would get shot again. Their bodies would be buried without a coffin and their names and cause of death would be listed as unknown or whatever the hell they would come up with an accident, which is just it's terrible. Um, some of the bodies that Dr. Kimmerly found were in pieces, but forensics showed that many of the boys were in good health and their deaths were a complete mystery. So one of the bodies that she found, it looked like the little boy had just gotten an ear infection. But other than that, there wasn't any sort of like identifications on his uh, skeleton that would showcase some sort of bodily illness that would have killed him. So accident or unknown could possibly have meant that he was shot I or something else. I accidentally shot him. Or yes. I accidentally threw him off a building. Off a building. I don't know. I, can't, I was trying to think of other things. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So, And then my accident continued a hundred times. <laughs> exactly. So like I said, the segregated school contained the, the majority of those unknown, um, unmarked grave sites, which is extremely unfortunate. So even in 1968, when the governor of Florida visited the school, he stated that the conditions were terrible and the overcrowding and lack of cleanliness made the school a dangerous place. He stated that someone should have blown the whistle a long time ago, but I'm sure these poor kids were like way too scared to actually say anything. So remember, they are children and... Although it does stretch up to the age of 21, we still have these really young age kids that are existing in this program for up to nine months of just existing in terrible conditions. It was really horrible. They're being sexually abused by their superiors. It's a dangerous place. And I don't know, I would be completely frightened to say anything to anyone, even after I had left. 
Um, plus, there's going to be a lot of issues with um, ex-inmates going on and committing even greater crimes after they leave um, Dozer. So it's it's just a mess. It's a scary place. And like yeah. whistleblowing as an adult is hard and scary. Yes, because you could be targeted you could be at retaliated any moment. against, especially yes. even like. You know, you kind of have to consider, like, do I want to make a big deal about this and then end up in here again or worse? Or do I just want to, like, let it go? Like, I'm out. I'm done. And just be like, we're over with this. We just have to move on. And that would also be an extremely difficult process as well. And in the 60s, the school housed almost 600 kids in tiny little cottages with the beds really close together. It was so crowded because the crimes the kids committed were they were just like minor discretions often. So it was pretty packed in that school. And like I had said before, it was one of the largest reformatory schools for boys in the nation. Also in the 60s, the age range changed from that 13 to 21 average range to 10 to 16. So that was the average age of an inmate on this campus. In addition, Corporal punishment wasn't banned until 1968. So that's almost 70 years after the school had been founded. Before that, corporal punishment, and for those of you who don't know, it's just like beatings and floggings and you're able to punish someone physically. It was legal to do all of those things on that campus ground. So a whole bunch of these teenage boys were being flogged for doing nothing. So being tied to a post and beaten with a leather strap multiple times um so that's pretty terrible and one student who was um, who went to the school in 1961 his name is jerry cooper he went there because he attempted to run away he got a ride from a marine who had actually stolen the vehicle that he was driving and jerry was implicated in this crime and charged with car theft and then he would go to the reformatory school um, after that had all happened, which he wasn't even a car thief. He just got into a stolen car. So justice was not served that day. Um, and while Jerry was on the campus grounds, there were 11, there was an 11 room concrete building. And this building had been built in 1929. And inmates had nicknamed it the White House because it was white on the inside. And it's basically like a giant sepulcher. So um, do you know what a sepulcher is? I'm like, I'm guessing it's a religious term. Well, no. So, okay. <laughs> so a normally sepulcher... when you say random words like that, it's like a Catholic thing. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. So a sepulcher is a usually a giant white painted grave site. It's like a mass grave site for families. And a lot of the times it would be painted white because on the inside there would just be rotting corpses out there. So that's exactly the image that I'm getting from this White House, which is painted white. And on the inside, there's all of this decay and horror that's happening. So it's a ginormous sepulcher. Good analogy. Thank you. Um, It was supposed uh, it was supposedly a place to house the violent students um, or not students. Sorry, inmates. I keep wanting to call them students, but they're inmates. Um, So all of the crimes, the range of crimes on this campus went from minor things like truancy to rape. 
So, and they were all intermixed. The more violent kids. <gasps> they were intermixed? Yeah, on this campus. So the violent kids were housed in a different spot. So like oh, they would okay. sleep in a different area. But all of the kids who were nonviolent offenders slept in bunks and the doors didn't have locks on them. So, so you're they not were supposed easily to, accessible. You're not supposed to put those together because research shows that nonviolent offenders if they spend a lot of time with violent offenders, will become maybe violent. more likely to become like commit higher level offenses in the future. Yeah, and that's exactly what would happen, especially here. with juveniles. Yes. I learned that in a juvenile class. <laughs> yeah, because we've talked about how susceptible children are to their environments and how it can impact your psyche and your ability to process the world around you. So if all of these young kids are being exposed to a whole bunch of people who have done serious things and who believe that what they've done is okay or whatever they think in their minds, that example will be set for these children that are stuck in this really horrible place, not to mention they're also being like assaulted by all of the superiors around them. So what else are they going to think about the world? Yeah. It's just a really bad place and it doesn't reform anyone. No. There's no reformation like, happening here. That's why juvenile sentencing is so short is because your brain is so susceptible at that time and it's still developing and it's going to develop improperly in this environment. Absolutely. But also, fun fact, truancy is the number one indicator that a child will commit crimes in the future. I did not know that. That's interesting. It's called like a something offense, and I don't remember. Well, that's cool. A status offense. That's okay. what it's called. Oh, that's neat. I didn't know about that. Okay, cool. So truancy is a big deal. Never mind. Well, it's not, not like it's comparable to rape, but mm -hmm. like it is something that if it's happening, you should keep an eye on it because right. it... Definitely be aware to, of it. Yeah. Absolutely. But they shouldn't be mixed in with a whole bunch of rapists. That's for <laughs> no, sure. No, not at all. <laughs> um, yeah, because if they're already committing truancy and it's an indicator that they may be more violent in the future, then that will just set them off a million times more if they're involved with a whole bunch of people who have committed more violent crimes. So Jerry has this, there's this white building on campus white, called the White House. The White House. The White House. And... Um, it was supposedly housing the violent students that we talked about, but after corporal punishment was abolished, it was used for storage. So clearly there was more happening inside of that building than just housing the violent students because it was transformed completely after 1968. So Jerry in 1961, at around 2 a.m. one morning, he was woken up by some of the guards and taken to this house. He was hogtied and then beaten with a leather strap. While he was being dragged to the house, he heard from the inside a large scream and a staffer said, I think we killed him. About another student inside like, the building. Whoops. Yeah, like, okay, that's not something casual you just yeah. say. Um, this was actually a normal practice and many ex-inmates would come forward with similar stories about the infamous White House on the campus grounds. Sometimes the house would be so full that boys would have to stand in line and wait for their turn to be beaten outside. So they'd make like a line outside the door and they'd have to wait. No. And then they'd be brought in. You know what this is going to do? This is going to create tons of people who are going to go out into the world and just be like super violent because they're going to yes. think that the way that you deal with any sort of minor inconvenience is to like to be beat the beat out of someone. Exactly. It's not setting a good example whatsoever. So in 2008, after more allegations of abuse started to come forward, 
um, about the school, a study was published called For Their Own Good. It was written, written by a group of men who... Oh my God, I already hate it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's... it's Yeah. So it was written by a group of men who were inmates at the school in the 1950s and 1960s. Oh. You'll actually like this study. I thought you were saying so, that... No, it's oh, an it ironic for their title. Own good. Okay, okay yeah. I got it. Oh, I like that then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I thought it was really clever. I was like, you know what? That's that's good. <laughs> um, so it was written by this group of men um, from the 1950s and 1960s at this really pivotal time right before the cor- corporal punishment ended. So that's kind of important to remember because a lot of the retaliation for the study would say that none of this happened after corporal punishment left. But that was in 1968. So that was at the end of when these actual inmates existed on the school campus. So I believe every single one of their testimonies because they're pretty viable. And some of the things that happened to some of these men in their later lives showcases exactly what Randy was saying about how their violent tendency would be completely amplified after being at this school. So the report stated that inside the White House, the boys would be locked into individual cells and the walls were covered in blood, nail scratches, urine, and a number of other really foul things. A reporter that would end up on the campus grounds, because like I said, throughout this entire existence of this facility, people knew that something was going on and that it wasn't normal, but they couldn't do anything because the corporal punishment was still okay. So that was like the excuse for so many years. So you're not allowed to like almost murder them. You're not allowed to murder them. (laughs) But yeah, but all of these boys would be buried in unmarked graves and then their deaths would be listed as like an accident or unknown. And then the school would just bury them. And because they're a state institution... You know, what are you going to do What are you going to do? It's like, yeah. we this is an action of the state and you can't do any, you can't override that at all. And plus the bodies would be so heavily compromised because they didn't bury them in coffins. Because right. so like that means that their bodies were completely exposed to the elements and all physical evidence would be completely eaten away within like a week. Yeah, that's what, because like earlier I was like, can they just go get them? But you yeah, know, no. when you think about it, there's so many processes in place and so much governmental BS that yeah. you would have to deal with. There's I so didn't many even, different stuff. Yeah, I wasn't have to thinking go about that earlier, but Yeah, because this is a state funded institution, which is why the governor was like getting involved in the late sixties. So that's pretty disgusting. But yeah. So the reporter, um oh sorry, not a, the reporter. Sorry. There's a reporter later, but the report the for their own good, um, also stated that the main beatings were carried out by a one-armed man named Terry Tidwell. A one-armed man? Yeah, he had one arm. That was like, like the, the description of I him. like that that's was like... The, yeah. <laughs> that's weird. Okay. Yeah. Or so, it's not weird that he has one arm. It's weird that they like <laughs> chose to include that yes, while describing him. Yeah, it was like a him. very thing. Well, it's a really poignant, like physical traits that I know, but it's just have. like, I'm sure he doesn't appreciate everyone saying like the, one-armed, like the man. one-armed man that beat us to death. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure he hates that. Um, but yeah, so there was this guy named Terry Tidwell. And after describing the horrors of the cells in the white house, the med would go on to say several of them that there was an underground room that they called the rape room. Isn't that horrible? Oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah. So no. Yeah. So here in this room, the boys would be sexually assaulted and raped by the guards who were supposed to be protecting them. 
So there was a whole separate room for this thing. For and some then, reason, this is worse than the murders. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's really, really terrible, you guys. Um, yeah, because these people would go on to live yeah. with these experiences, and they were kids. It was just a lot. So with that lovely thought in mind, we're going to end part two, and then we're going to jump back into part three and talk more about torture and some some justice. We have a little bit of justice Yes, I'm ready happens. to get there. <laughs> it's not a lot, kids. <laughs> just saying. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening. Bye! Bye.